This is a podcast of First Presbyterian Church of Trenton, Michigan, a gospel-centered community seeking to glorify God by making, maturing, and multiplying disciples. For more information, check out fpchurch.tv. Our scripture this morning comes from Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, we'll begin reading in verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And he sent messengers ahead of him, who went and entered a village of the Samaritans to make preparations for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set toward Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? But he turned and rebuked them, and they went on to another village. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, Leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, No one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. Would you please pray with me? Lord, we thank you for the gift of your word. We thank you for the privilege, the the good news thank you for this opportunity to gather together as your people to worship you. We thank you that you have revealed your will to us in your word. We thank you that you have revealed uh, your character to us so that we can truly know you, so that we're not left to guess, we're not left to wonder who you are, we're not left to wonder what you're like, we're not left to wonder what you require of us, we're not left to wonder what you've done for us because you've revealed it so clearly in your word, and we thank you for that. Lord, help us this morning to see what a privilege it is to be able to gather like this, to be able to worship you, to lift up your name, to be reminded of the fact that, yes, we are sinful, yes, we are lost on our own, but because of Jesus, because of his life and work, we're able to be delivered, we're able to be forgiven, we're able to be saved, and then we're invited and drawn into the family of God. Lord, thank you so much for the love and the grace that you have shown us so abundantly. Lord, we recognize that you continue to do that. You provide for us, even when things are difficult, as these last couple of years have been in so many different ways. Lord, you have been faithful, you have been steady. We thank you for that. Lord, we know that there are still people who are struggling and and dealing with all sorts of issues, whether it's health issues or relational issues, which are so magnified at this time of year, when so many are able to rejoice uh, over the holidays. There are many who aren't. There are many who who are grieving and mourning loss of loved ones or loss of of relationships and, and friendships and so many painful things. Lord, I pray for those who are mourning right now, who are struggling in whatever way. Would you remind each of those individuals 
that you care for them, that you are near to them, that you are near to the broken in spirit, that you are faithful and steadfast. And Lord, help them to turn to you, to be reminded of your grace. Lord, surround each person who is hurting and struggling with men and women of God who will faithfully point them back to the gospel, who will remind them of your great love for, for them specifically. God, we thank you that you have been so faithful in this place for well over 100 years, that you've provided over and over again, that you've provided people to serve with their gifts and talents, and uh, Lord, we've, we've never lacked. There have been times where we may have wondered how you were going to work things out, but you have always done it, and we're so thankful for that. Lord, we thank you for Fran. We thank you for her many years of service, for the blessing that she's been to so many here. And we pray that as she moves on to this next phase of life and retirement, that you would bless her abundantly, that you would help her to continue to be a blessing to those around her, and that you would draw close to her and draw her closer and closer to you every day. Once again, Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to gather underneath the preaching of your word, for we truly sit under the word. It's through that, it's through your inspired word that you direct us, that you guide us, that you convict us. So we pray that you would do that this morning, that you would speak through Pastor Aaron as he preaches to us, that his words would be those that you would have us to hear. And Holy Spirit, would you apply those words to our hearts? Would you shape us and change us and mold us into the people that you have called us to be? And God, would your name be lifted up in this place in everything that is said and done? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So good morning, Merry Christmas, and I think Happy New Year, right? Wrap it all into one, but it is great to be with you. Um, I'm just thrilled that we get the opportunity after reflecting on all that Christ means to us in the giving, uh, in the coming, in the dying, in the willing to uh, empower us through the whole work of the Spirit to be obedient. It's a beautiful thing when you think about the power of the gospel in one's life. Um, I was thinking about our text, and I was confronted with this question, and the question is really, what makes great people great? What makes great people great? See, there comes a time in a person who is considered great, there comes a time when they have to make a stand. There comes a time when they need to fulfill their calling. And fulfilling that calling in pursuit of greatness, if you will, that means, ultimately, that they need complete commitment. They need singleness of vision. That's what makes great people great. Now, by the world standard, I don't know that many people out in the, in about in our community or in the, in the United States at large would think some of the names I'm about to say as great, but within the Christian community, these individuals are viewed as those who are committed and were faithful. The first is a missionary by the name of David Livingston. David Livingston was confronted by a missionary society who asked him this question in a letter, in a communication. They said, David, have you found a good road where you are? If so, we want to know about it so that we can send other men to join you. Upon receiving this correspondence, Livingston writes back, 
if you have men who are only willing to come if there's a good road, I don't want them. I don't want men who will come if there's a good road. I want men who will come if there is no road at all. Commitment. Or how about the early reformer John Huss? A man who believed the scriptures to be infallible and supreme in their authority on all matters of life. This John Huss was willing to die at the stake, being burned alive for his belief on his 42nd birthday. Why? Because he refused a final plea to renounce his faith and his trust in Christ alone. Here's the last words of John Huss. What I taught with my lips, I seal with my blood. That is commitment. That is singleness of vision. Or how about the other missionary by the name of Judson? He sweat out in the Burman heat for 18 years. He never went on furlough. And for six years straight, he never saw one person convert over to Christianity in all of Burma. He endured torture and even imprisonment. He admitted to himself and to others that he never saw a ship with a sail without wanting to jump on board and go home. He admitted that that desire to leave Burma was deep within him. Finally, when his wife's health broke and he put her on a homebound vessel in the knowledge that he wouldn't see her for at least two full years, he confided in his own diary these words. If we could find some quiet resting place on earth where we could spend the rest of our days in peace, oh, how sweet. But then he steadied himself with the remarks, Life is short. Millions in Burma are perishing. And I am almost the only person on earth who has attended their language and can communicate the gospel of salvation to them. I must stay. Singleness of vision, commitment. Each of these stories are about great men who committed their lives to their calling. Truth is, they were just following the example of their king, King Jesus. As King Jesus followed his commitment to his calling. And friends, that's exactly what we find in our text. It's a calling of commitment. Commitment was the goal for Jesus. Look at verse 51. When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. That phrase, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. But I would draw your attention actually to the words that preceded, when the days drew near. When the days drew near for him to be taken up. When the days drew near for him to be crucified and die. Or as one preacher put it, when the days had reached their fulfillment for his departure. When those days drew near, Jesus didn't turn and run. No, Jesus set his face for Jerusalem. See, the time had come, and the reason for his coming was now. 
We begin to see from this point forward in Luke fewer miracles but more teaching. Jesus is already, by demonstration, showing who he was. Now he wants to make it explicit why he has come. He has come to die. His life is centered around that commitment. Many theologians call this passage, beginning at verse 51 of Luke 9, the hinge passage of Luke. We go from the years of popularity to now a time when Christ will meet great opposition. But through that opposition, he has single-minded commitment to his purpose. Perfect obedience. And Jesus turned and set his face to Jerusalem, the place where he would die. Jesus set his eyes on the place where he would be lifted up and crucified. From this moment and in Luke forward, he's ascending the hill of Calvary. His commitment to the death of himself for the needs of the sinners he would die for is one that's absolutely astounding because they weren't cheering for him. They were cheering at him. Crucify. Crucify. No longer would he be popular, now he would be their enemy. And yet he turned not his eyes to the left or to the right. But he focused on Jerusalem, his call. He was committed. Jesus truly was and is the greatest of all. Friends, New Year's is approaching, and for many of us that means New Year's resolutions, doesn't it? And if we're honest with ourselves, we've made resolutions in the past, and the problem is, over the years, we don't really find ourselves fulfilling those resolutions. But Christ was resolute. Christ committed himself to his purpose. And that's what makes Christ the greatest. Because his commitment wasn't about himself but about the glory of his Father. It was about the love towards sinners. It was his willingness to go to the cross he didn't deserve for us. This is what makes Christ the greatest. His absolute perfect obedience. Friends, I ask you this question and I ask it in a way that myself had to struggle through the answer. But the question is this, as we reflect upon the commitment of Christ and his single-mindedness to go to Jerusalem to die, how does that encourage you in your faith and in your obedience? See, many today will talk about a love for Jesus or a belief in Christ. But who is this Christ they believe in? Is it the one of Scripture in which he came to die? Is it the one where he gave humbly of himself, stooping down to wash his disciples' feet, dirty, stinky feet, when all they could do was argue about who was the greatest amongst themselves? 
Is the Jesus we worship the one who truly took the scourgings and the beatings and the rejection we ourselves deserve? He didn't turn from that call or that commitment. He pursued it, setting his face towards Jerusalem. What does that Jesus and his commitment mean for you? What does it mean for you in 2022 as you face a new year and as you look forward to the days and the weeks and the months ahead? What does it mean about your commitment to him, your trust in him, your allegiance to him, your single-mindedness to his name and glory? The reason I started with those illustrations of those missionaries are those are some of the missionaries that have impacted me as I've reflected upon their work and their commitment, their self-sacrifice for the glory of God, even if it meant discomfort or opposition. They followed their king, and so should we. However often, as our text reveals, we need more correcting than this. See, we see this in verse 52 where we read this. And Jesus sent messengers on ahead of him who went and entered a village of Samaritans to make preparation for him. But the people did not receive him because his face was set towards Jerusalem. So you need to understand something about the Samaritans. They were known as half-breeds. They were half-Jewish and half-Gentile. Therefore, the Jews really didn't want anything to do with them. So the Samaritans quit going to the temple to worship. They rather stayed on their mounts and worshiped there. They began to have their own customs and their own ways. And when Jesus sent his people ahead of him to prepare the way, and they told the Samaritans why Jesus was coming, because he was going to Jerusalem, rather than receive him, the Samaritans rejected him. How often this is true of us. We reject Jesus because Jesus doesn't come the way we want or to do the things we desire. See, the Samaritans had their own place of worship, didn't they? In John chapter 4, we read of Jesus talking to the Samaritan woman. And in that conversation, she asks a very poignant question. She says to Jesus in John 4, where should we worship? In Jerusalem or where my family and our people worship? In the mountain. Notice Jesus' response. Those who worship me should worship God in spirit and in truth. His answer wasn't in a location, but it was in the understanding of true worship is through spirit and truth. Somewhere the Samaritans didn't understand Jesus' purpose. They were still caught up on location and, and opportunities and experiences about things, about being their own way. And when Jesus came and said he was going to Jerusalem, they were still caught up in locations and therefore they rejected him. Friends, this truth of the Samaritans is like many today who will only receive Jesus if Jesus is worshipped their own way. You know how sad that makes me? Because people's greatest obstacle to Jesus 
is just their traditions, just their preferences, just their biases. How often this is the case with us. Our traditions and biases and get in the way of worshiping Jesus as he himself should be worshiped because we misunderstand. So often, because we misunderstand and we reject Christ, we miss the opportunity to share in the joy of Jesus. Could you imagine that the Samaritans would have received him? Could you imagine the joy around the table to listen to his teaching, to hear his stories, to talk with the one who came to die? But they had no time for that because Jesus didn't come their way. And before we get too hostile with the Samaritans, I draw your attention to the reaction of Jesus' own disciples. Look at verse 54. And when his disciples, James and John, saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to tell fire to come down from heaven and consume them? Notice the command that they have. Do you want us to act? Do you want us to tell fire to come down? The zeal, the anger, the fury, the confidence that these two disciples had, these sons of thunder. Friends, the disciples' harsh reaction actually reveals not their holiness, but their bias. For nowhere do we ever see the disciples act this way towards the religious elite, the Pharisees. Nowhere do we see them treating their own Jewish people this way. No, as I stated already, the disciples being Jewish hated the Samaritans. And so when the Samaritans rejected Jesus, this gave a cause for their own bias. To call fire down from heaven to consume him, them. The sad thing is, for many, this sounds pious or even righteous. Look how they stand up for Jesus. Look how they honor his name. There are many that do the same, using religion as their weapon, rather than truly submitting to the way in which Jesus would have us love one another. Friends, the disciples let their opinions of others impact their reactions to those they hated. If we just take a minute and analyze our own lives, we have to be honest that it's amazing how quickly we can fly off the handle with a particular type of person. Maybe we experienced it this Christmas or Christmas Eve with that particular family member that just seems to, to grade under our skin. Maybe it's the neighbor and the way their dog keeps using our lawn for its bathroom. Maybe it's the way in which our boss made us work extra time over this Christmas season. Whatever it is, it's amazing how quickly we can fly off the handle at a particular type of person because of our bias. Friends, I would draw your attention to Jesus' reaction. It's found in verse 56. Verse 55, excuse me, but Jesus turned to them and rebuked them. Jesus wouldn't stand for it. Jesus would not have his own people show partiality. 
For Jesus came to die for sinners. Let me rephrase that. Jesus came to die for Samaritans. Friends, I would ask you to put who it is in your mind that you're at odds with. Jesus came to die for who? Too often we assume that Jesus surely wouldn't die for our enemies. Jesus surely wouldn't die for those whom we stand against. But clearly here, Jesus rebukes his very own disciples for doing something that appears so holy and just and righteous because of their bias, because of their preference. So church, I ask you, how often do your own preferences, your own opinions, get in the way of loving others like Jesus does? Finally, we're given this plethora of examples of what clarity we need regarding commitment. In verse 57 through verse 62, we're given all of these illustrations of those who said, I'll follow you, Jesus, but... Listen to each plea. Beginning verse 57, it says, One says, I will follow you wherever you go. There doesn't even appear to be a but associated with this. And yet Jesus responds, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Or how about when another said, I will follow you, but first let me bury the dead. To which Jesus responds, let the dead bury the dead, but you go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Or how about another? I will follow you, but first let me say farewell to those in my home. And Jesus exclaims, no one puts his hand to the plow and looks back, is fit for the kingdom of heaven. Why does he make these statements? Why is Jesus so harsh? Here were individuals who surely would have come along and followed him if, if Jesus would have just accepted them. This is one of those portions of Scripture which forces you to scratch your head because shouldn't we just encourage whoever wants to come along and claim the name of Christ? See, friends, Jesus is making it very clear what commitment looks like. While Jesus' words may appear harsh, especially to the one who says, I'll follow you anywhere, we need to remember that Jesus knows our heart. Jesus knows what it really means when we say anywhere. Anywhere but there, Jesus. I'll do anything for you but that, Jesus. And Jesus wants to make it exceptionally clear that if you follow Jesus, understand Jesus had nowhere to lay his head. That Jesus went to great lengths for our salvation. Or maybe Jesus' words seem harsh to the one who said, let me bury my father first. Surely this seems harsh. But maybe we need to remember that Jesus knew more about the situation than us. Maybe the man's father wasn't even dead yet. Maybe he's still alive, walking around and doing things, and this just gets the individual off the hot seat. I told God I would do whatever he asked, just later. To which Jesus makes it very clear, let the dead bury the dead. 
Or maybe Jesus' words seem harsh when he says to the other, a man who puts his hand to the plow and turns back is no good for the kingdom. All the man asked was to be able to go and say goodbye. But maybe Jesus knew the man's heart and he knew that if he returned home, he would never leave. See, here's one of the most important things about this passage is that Jesus knows us better than we know ourselves. Jesus brings clarity to the way that we understand who we are, let alone to who he is. When Jesus calls us for a complete surrender, when Jesus corrects us for our use of religion to beat others up, when Jesus makes sure that he sets the example for what it means to truly be committed, we have much to learn. We have much to learn about what it means to sit at the feet of Jesus. So friends, I ask, how do the words of Christ offer clarity to your understanding, to your commitment of him? Friends, if we're honest with ourselves, we live in a day when commitment doesn't really mean much. The idea of being committed is something people think happens out of convenience, without much effort. But that's not what Jesus was saying at all. See, in our day and age, some think that commitment is just about comfort. And we see the effects of this misunderstanding of commitment in the divorce rates. We see the effects of this misunderstanding of commitment in the unfinished degrees and jobs that are left undone. We see this in the idea that individuals continually look for happiness in greener pastures rather than being faithful where God has placed them. We're wandering full of lust and selfish greed where Jesus came to deny himself and to die for sinners. What's the call? The call is about commitment. A commitment that needs correction and clarity in our lives because we truly don't understand it. It's about commitment of fixing our eyes on Jesus as Jesus fixed his eyes on the cross. Jesus came to die, and so should we. Not for ourselves, but for his glory. That death isn't a physical death, but it's a dying a little bit of self every day when we put the Lord first when we care for our neighbor well, when we go out of our way to love our spouse first rather than ourselves. That's what it means to truly be committed to Jesus, to live for him, to honor him, not just with our words, as all those examples of others who did, but to honestly honor him with our actions. To be committed 
in the face of correction and through the opportunity of clarity to be committed, to remember our Savior as he turned his face towards Jerusalem, to understand that no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is really fit for the kingdom because the kingdom requires commitment. And where do we find it? Not in ourselves, but in the good news of Jesus. See, this would be a harsh sermon if all I did was tell you how you are not really committed. But look at Jesus, he sure is. It would be a harsh and and horrible sermon to say, go be like Jesus. Because you can't. But the good news of the gospel is that Jesus came to die for sinners. And the good news of the gospel is that the Holy Spirit is given who empowers us to believe and to live out our faith. That we can be more committed today than we were yesterday. In the face of a new year, we can be more committed in 2022 than we were in 2021 or 2020. We can be more committed because of the love and affection Christ has given us. So friends, this isn't a discouraging sermon. This is an encouraging one. Because you have been empowered to be committed. Go live for Jesus. Let's pray. Father, as we close our Bibles, as we step away from this reminder of discipleship, as we see Jesus' eyes now in Luke focused on Jerusalem, may we not respond as the Samaritans who expected Jesus to worship their way. May we not respond as the disciples who merely expected Jesus to be pleased with their religion, even though it was full of bias and opposition. May we not be like those who said we would follow Jesus if. May we follow Jesus with no strings attached, complete commitment and complete surrender to his glory and name, for he is worthy. For it's by his power and through his grace that we live the Christian life. May we surrender all and live for his name. We pray this in Jesus' name. And God's people said. This has been a podcast of First Presbyterian Church in Trenton, Michigan. For more information, please visit us online at fpchurch.tv.